Good morning, Tri-Valley Church. My name is Jacob. I am the preaching minister here at the, the Tri-Valley Church of Christ, which is where you are. It's wonderful to gather together on this first Sunday of the new year and worship the Lord with you. Uh, it's so good. I'm loving this theme, the nothing but the blood of Jesus. That was true in 1876. That was true in 1971. That's true in 2024. Can you believe that's the number of today? Uh, it makes you feel old, right? Getting older, getting up there. Uh, Christ Jesus is the same yesterday, today, forever, new year, same God. Amen to all of it. It's wonderful to declare these things together as God's church. Uh, this morning, we are beginning a new sermon series, and it's called The Liturgy of the Ordinary. Liturgy of the Ordinary. It's based on a book by the same title, The Liturgy of the of the ordinary. And the purpose of this sermon series is to connect some spiritual truths and spiritual practices to our everyday, ordinary life. Um, I am wearing a suit. Some of you have complimented me on how sharp and dapper I look this morning. I'm, yeah, people are like, hey, you clean up nice, guy. Uh, and uh, you're right, I do. I look good. This is a this is a sharp look. I thought you might like it. It looks very formal. Uh, but I want you to know that anytime I wear a suit, whether it's for preaching or for some other formal occasion, when that occasion is done, when we're dismissed and we head home, I don't keep wearing the suit. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. It looks nice, but it's a little, it's a little tight. Uh, most of the hours of my life, I don't wear a suit. Some people have to wear formal wear for their job, uh, or this is, this is normal for some people. This is not normal for me. It feels a little stiff. Uh, when I get home, I shed the, uh, the nice look. I dress down a little bit. I don't wear the tie. Ties is like, I don't know who came up with this idea, but it's just like being choked all day long, and I don't want to be choked all day long. So when I get home, I take off the suit, take off the stiff clothes, and I put on something that looks a little more like this. This is how you'll find Jacob on a Sunday afternoon, on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, There's most of the other days. <laughs> I, wear, I wear a hoodie. I wear jeans. Uh, my shoes aren't quite as uh, leather, and I look a little bit more ordinary. And the same is true for you, I bet, when it comes to your time being in church in a formal worship assembly like this versus not being in a formal worship assembly. You can gather with the saints, you can gather with believers across Livermore at every gathering that is scheduled, and still, most of your time will be spent in a hoodie. Most of your time will be spent during the ordinary hours of the day, your normal, natural rhythms of life. We come here to worship God in an organized way, and it's good. We come here to learn things, to equip ourselves for works of service, to understand who we are in Christ, and that is good. We're not going to stop doing that. But then we all go into our jobs and into schools and into our homes, doing dishes, cooking, cleaning, sweeping. First of the year, better purge that garage. I sure accumulated a lot of junk, just the ordinary things of life. Sleeping, exercising, showering, self-grooming. You're familiar with all of these things. Back in the fall, we did a series called Embodied Faith, and we listened to James remind us that faith isn't just something that you do when you're gathered with other believers. It's not just something you do on Sunday mornings, but it's something you take with you and practice 
in those ordinary times. Our series was called Embodied Faith. We're kind of continuing that theme throughout this whole year. So for the next couple months, as we focus on the liturgy of the ordinary, the goal is to attach some of these spiritual truths and spiritual practices to everyday activities. Does that make sense? The word liturgy might throw somebody off, or it may, you may be unfamiliar with that, or you may even have a negative connotation for liturgy. Sometimes in church traditions, there's, there's certain ways of doing Sunday morning church that are more liturgical than others. And some people may associate them with a more uh, scripted, formal format or prayers that maybe for some can become rote and uh, recited and start to lose their meaning. I've met some people who are, ah, I like our tradition because it's more from the heart. It's more spontaneous. But the truth is, we all have our own liturgies. In a worship gathering, the word liturgy literally just means the work of the people. A liturgy refers to anything that a Christian does to express their faith. So, in our church, in the same way that a lot of you were going, ah, let the blind say, I can see it's what the Lord has done in me. Praise team leaves the stage. What comes next? Communion. That's a liturgy. We're familiar with that. Two songs, a prayer, two songs, a scripture reading, a sermon, dismiss the kids. This is all part of our, our liturgy. It's not good or bad, but it's a rhythm. It's a ritual that we have in a way that we express our faith. Well, in the same way, we have liturgies of our life. You may start your day with a cup of coffee. Woo, every single morning. Can't start my day without my coffee. Dan's amening me from the back. I'm right there with you. You may check your phone, check the news feed, check your social media. This is part of your liturgy. As we think about the liturgy of the ordinary, like I said, we want to take what we do in here, spiritual truths, spiritual practices, and then say, what does that look like to be reminded of them in our ordinary life? Things like waking up in the morning, making coffee, being stuck in traffic. What is the spiritual redemptive value of getting into a fight with somebody from your, your family? How can those things that we do inevitably that just are naturally part of the rhythms of life, how can they remind us of Jesus, the cross, and the hope that we have in him? That's where we're going to go this, uh, this winter, these first couple months of the year as we explore the liturgy of the ordinary. Alfred Hitchcock, a famous filmmaker, said, uh, movies are just life with the dull bits cut out. You watch a movie, it's like exciting things happen, dramatic things happen. You rarely see a movie where it's just like someone eating cereal for 30 minutes and then <laughs> calling in sick to work. Just the ordinary things that happen. But we're going to focus on those ordinary things and talk about how there's redemptive value, redemptive reminders of who we are in Christ. And when you think about the life and the ministry of Jesus, he had a lot of ordinary moments in his life. There were miraculous, amazing things that happened. He fed 5,000. He healed people with diseases instantly. There's this moment, this transfiguration, where he takes some of his disciples up on the mountaintop, and he's transformed, and he's this glowing white image, and they go, wow, this is amazing, and they hear the voice of God, and mountaintop experiences, literally. But Jesus also traveled. He walked. He got dust on his feet. He slept. He ate. He was interrupted. He had people he spent time with, probably were easy to get along with. And then there's times where you see Jesus face palming and going, ah, you guys will never understand what I'm talking about. How much longer do I have to put up with y'all? The ordinary things 
of life. More of Jesus' life was ordinary than extraordinary, you could even say. So if Jesus was God in the flesh, and he said, work is good, working with your hands is good, travel is good, sleep, rest, eating, celebrating is good, the ordinary moments in our lives, ordinary conversations, sitting by a fire, going to the temple, going to the synagogue, regular rhythms. If Jesus did those things, we do those things, then it's not that like what we're doing here is better and those things are just like, ah, let's get past them, let's get through them so we can get back to the mountaintop. Our transformation into the image of Jesus happens in those ordinary hours, those ordinary moments of the day. So let's focus on that. Let's think about that. That's where we're going to live uh, at the first part of this year. We're going to start with wh- how most of you, I would venture to say 100% of you, begin each day, and that is waking up. The ordinary act of going from sleep to awake. Uh, I want you to think about this by, in a little interactive group way. Just take about 30 seconds, turn to the person next to you, and tell them whether or not you wake up quick like, boom, up and at them, my alarm went off, I'm out of bed, brushing my teeth, getting going. Or you wake up slow, maybe roll over and hit the snooze button, groggy, rubbing your eyes, nobody talked to me until I've had my coffee. Do you wake up quick or do you wake up slow? Tell the person next to you, go. For those of you online, if you can still hear me, I wake up quick. I like to get going. Uh, Lisa is the other one, slow and steady. All right, uh, raise your hand if you wake up quick. The quick waker uppers, the up and at them, early bird catching the worm. That's not very many. Raise your hand if you are uh, slow starters. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I know, right? I'm going to get up quick. Something about like if I'm woken up, I, I get up and I go. Let's start this day. Let's get it going if I'm at home or if I'm in a new place. Uh, but not lately. Since we've been back from our trip, I've been sleeping in. It's kind of nice. Maybe I'm crossing over to becoming the other one. We all kind of wake up in the same state. We have been doing nothing, usually for several hours. Uh, We have bad breath when we wake up. Our hair is messed up. Well, your hair is messed up. Mine looks like this when I wake up. (laughs) It's true. I'm, I'm ready to go. Maybe that's why I'm an up and at kind of person. Don't require a ton of maintenance, but we all kind of start from zero. And it's a vulnerable place to start. We get up and we go, okay, ugh, what am I going to do? What do I have to do today? What is expected of me? Is it something? Is it nothing? We start from zero. Jesus did the same thing. If you think about the life and ministry of Jesus, he had to wake up. Ugh. What are we doing today? There's this vulnerability. There's this uh, equalization that everybody's kind of on an even playing field. We start the day from zero. And then what we do from there is a lot of times up to us or it's connected to our personality, whether we're, we're quick or slow or start or we have a lot of responsibility or if we have a lot of hours to kill in our day. It could vary based on those things, but we all start by just waking up. And this is significant. We'll talk about this in just a minute. But I want to tell you a little bit about how my uh, kids wake up. I have five daughters, and throughout the years, there's just been moments where they've been sleeping, and we go, oh, that is adorable. Look at how they're sprawled out on their bed. They're just conked out. Sometimes they fall asleep in the middle of something. I I gathered some pictures. 
There's Lucy Goo just sleeping. I'm, where was this? Was this on our trip? I don't know. It's just like one of those classic, what was it, Molly? Or was it when they were traveling down in San Hello, am I back? Am I in the room? Online people, hopefully you can hear me now. Sorry to leave you in the, in the, the dark for a moment. But these are pictures of our kids sleeping. And you looked at them, and you're kind of delighted by them, right? We love these kids. They're just like, they're sweet, but they're not doing anything. And June just turned two, so for the last two years, she's been waking up in the mornings. And it's, if you get to be the one to wake her up, it's just fun. Like, she starts looking like this, and she's just out, and she's sweet. And then you say, June, June, you want to get up? She's disoriented. And then uh, she's delighted because she realizes that you love her, and you're there to take her out of her bed and to feed her and to interact with her and to return the smile that she gives to you. This is how we respond to little people when they wake up. Here's a question. Is this how we respond to adults when they wake up? I don't know. It's not as cute. I don't see people posting as many pictures of uh, their coworkers, like, falling asleep at their keyboard and going, look at how sweet and adorable and beloved they are. Isn't this just a sweet, wonderful person? If you took a picture at all and posted it of your sleeping coworker, you would probably have some unkind things to say. Look at this lazy person. Look at this. I'm working. I'm covering their, their, their work. They're not getting anything done. We're a little bit harder on the adults, and we're harder on ourselves. But the truth is, just like we love our kids, even when they've done nothing at all, we are loved by God when we wake up in the morning. We have not done a single thing to prove ourselves to deserve any kind of accolades or, or value in society. We, all we did was go, oh, what am I going to eat? Oh, i got to get to the bathroom pretty quick. We wake up ordinary. Okay, am I in the room on this mic? Great, thank you. Greg, give it up for Joseph. They saved the day. That was good. We had an ordinary moment. I'm glad my tie didn't have to see that. That was, uh, <laughs> that was very ordinary. Think about what we're talking about with loving our kids when they wake up. Thinking about ourselves when we start our day. Nothing to show for it. Thinking, I got to go earn it. I got to go prove it. But here's how God saw Jesus, and here's how God sees us. Listen to this moment from the early ministry of Jesus, from the very beginning of the gospel. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, a heading section called the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, well, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? What? Jesus replied, well, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That's a good moment for Jesus. You feel very affirmed in that moment. You come up out of the waters of baptism. Think about this, Son, Father's voice, Holy Spirit coming down. This is the Trinitarian moment where the persons of God are coming and they are affirming Jesus. But you ever stop to wonder why 
I am pleased with my son. I love him. I am proud of him. Why? He hasn't done anything yet. If you go back through Matthew, the beginning of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew telling us the story of how Jesus came and how the church got started, Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus and then like the nativity story, Mary and Joseph and the, the, the shepherds and the Magi visit Jesus. And then they have to escape to Egypt because crazy Herod is trying to kill the new Messiah because he heard that he might be on the scene. So then they flee, they go away to Egypt, and then they come back to Nazareth, and that's it. When Jesus is baptized, he's about 30 years old. But what's he been doing? Well, he's been in Egypt. He's been with his family, probably been learning some carpenter stuff. He's been learning the scriptures, the prayers of the Jewish people. He's probably been going to synagogue. But we don't have a record of that. But what we see as the public ministry of Jesus starts is a baptism by cousin John, like he needs it. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless. He said, let's, well, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is the, the re- baptism for repentance. This is the cleansing. I'm going to go through this ritual as an example. He comes up out of the water. Holy Spirit descends. The voice of the Father says, this is my son, and I love him. I am crazy about him. It's like when we go to wake up June in the morning. Oh! I just love you to pieces, but you haven't done anything yet. I just love you because I love you because you're good. And Jesus will go on to do some amazing things. This is even before the temptation in the wilderness. Who knows how that's going to go? 40 days out in the wilderness relying on God being tempted by Satan? That hasn't even happened yet. But he is my son, and I love him. This is important. Our day starts like this. Baptism is how our faith starts. Baptism is like the waking up of the Christian life. We come up out of the water. We say, I want to follow Jesus. I want him to be my Lord. I want this cleansing that I need. I need forgiveness of sins. I want the Holy Spirit to be guiding my life and constantly transforming and changing me. We haven't done anything yet as a Christian. And we get the same response from God, the Father that Jesus gets. I love you. I think you're great. I believe in you. I'm going to send you out to do some amazing things. I am well pleased with you. I think we forget that throughout the ordinariness of our lives. If we showed up here every Sunday and just heard this message and reminded ourselves of that, I think we would live lives that are a lot more generous and that are a lot more loving and that are a lot more graceful to others whose maybe hair is a little messier than ours in the morning, the breath is a little worse than ours, instead of waking up every morning and going, oh, I'm so loved and cared for by God. God loves me the way that he loved Jesus. I think a lot of the time we hold on to things from yesterday. We beat ourselves up because we didn't live up to our own expectations. We replay the stupid thing that we said the careless comment that was made and go, oh, why did I say that? Oh, I probably offended that person. They probably don't even want to talk to me. Ah, we wake up with the anxiety from the day before or the week before or the month before. We say the exact opposite thing that God says to us. God says, let's start the day. I love you. Let's go eat. Let's go, let's go do things together. And we go, ah, uh, I don't believe you. I don't believe that I'm as loved as you say. I am. So instead of starting our day from that place of feeling loved 
and valued and equipped and sent out by our, our, our Heavenly Father, we start our day with fear or anxiety or this, this need to prove ourselves and to justify our existence. I got to go earn. I got to go, go work. I got to go fix that thing that's broken. I got to do this. There's nothing wrong with work. There's nothing wrong with effort. But if this is our center, then we're kind of telling God that he's wrong. You're valuable. I love you. I don't, you might be wrong, God, because I'm kind of a mess. We need to believe this. What if we lived our lives from this place of this is your identity in Christ? You come up out of the waters of baptism, a new creation with this, of this, this power that comes from God's Spirit that you didn't have before with this mission, this purpose in life that just keeps you moving in a straight line. Even if you stray, even if you fall, even if we mess up, we still have the grace and the mercy of God who's going to stay with us and keep us going. Just imagine with me what it would be like if we remembered that. I think it's a simple problem that Christians have is we forget who we are. What if we woke up like June with a smile, with an expectation, just knowing that when we reach for our heavenly parent, he's going to hold us. He's going to know us. Ugh, what would it look like? I think as we hear a passage like this, there's three things that we have to believe. One, that God really loved Jesus. And I think that's easy to believe. Because again, we fast forward and we go, mm, he's worthy of love. He earned that love. He and God were like on the same level. He did so many things to make his father proud. Not me. The second thing we have to believe is that that's what God thinks about us. And like I said, we struggle with that. Or we try to put points on the board so that we can prove that that's true, but it's never going to be enough. And the third thing that we have to believe is that God doesn't just believe this about Jesus. He doesn't just believe this about me, but he believes this about the people that I interact with in my ordinary life. The people who ticked me off yesterday. The people I got to go back into my workplace and deal with. My friends, the people I choose, my acquaintances, the people I'm stuck with, my family also stuck with. It takes a lot of faith to believe that this is true. I think when we gather in a formal setting like this, when I'm wearing my suit and I say, God said it, it's true. We go like, yeah, it's true. We believe that God can love us so much that he would send his only son and that whoever believes in him will not be lost, will not have to prove themselves, will not be left behind and left in the dark, but will have everlasting life in Christ because of our baptism, because we have said we want to be in Christ and not just driven by our own abilities and identities that we come up with for ourselves. We believe it, but we forget it. So I want us to remember that this morning, and I want to encourage you, uh, the next time you wake up, and each time you wake up from now on, raise your hand if you're planning on waking up tomorrow. Lord willing, right? Hmm. You never know. Well, let's hope I see you all next Sunday. Let's hope we have a tomorrow and a Tuesday and a Wednesday. This is the liturgy of the ordinary. We can attach these reminders about our baptism, about our identity in Christ, about how much we are loved, and then how much that can empower us to go out and let other people know how much they're loved by God each day when we wake up. Waking up reminds us, ah, I haven't done anything, but I'm loved. 
It's true. It's true. I want you to wake up every morning and say, it's true. Let's practice that. Throw your hands up in the air and say, it's true. Do that tomorrow morning. I made little reminder cards for you. I found this graphic online. I can't take credit for making it. It was a Google copy-paste job, but um, it's Matthew 3.17. It's what we heard together. This is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. God says that about Jesus. God says that about you. I want you to take one of these, and I want you to put it by your bed. Put it by your uh, alarm clock if you're one of those snoozing people. Put it in your uh, bathroom if you're one of those up and at them, get going right at the start of the day type of people. If you want to get real creative, I thought you could put like double-sided tape on this, get a, like a mop handle and stick it on your ceiling. You sleep on your back because then you wake up every morning, oh, it's the, the message of God. Even coming down from above, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Remind yourself of this and then believe it and then live from that place of belief. That's the message this morning. It's going to lead us into our time of communion. Like I said, uh, if you haven't yet gotten one of these little red juice combo cups, there's some over in the foyer. You can go and grab that. If you're joining us online, get yourself some bread, something to drink. Uh, this is the body and the blood of Jesus. This reminds us that he loved us and he went to the cross. He gave his life as a sacrifice for us. Um, I'm pausing because I forgot to say one thing. I'm going to say it now. Uh, if you haven't been baptized, I don't, I sometimes forget to offer this invitation because I look out on a room full of people who have already made up their minds about whether or not to follow Jesus. I've already been baptized. I, I'm, I'm not there. I put it off. Well, whatever. Baptism is the start of the Christian life. It's what we're called to do as Christians. We see the examples of this as people come to the realization like Jesus is not just some other teacher to follow, but he's the Son of God. I think it's true. I think that he is our hope for salvation, for reconciliation with God the Father. That's how we have forgiveness of sins. That's how we have new life. And when we come together and celebrate communion, the Apostle Paul says we declare this. We proclaim the death of Christ. We say, Jesus is Lord. He's my Savior. I'm going to throw myself on the mercy of the court. I'm going to put all my eggs in the Jesus basket and say, eternal life, full restoration with God, our Father, our Creator, comes through Jesus Christ. It's all of those things. Um, but it just starts with a simple confession. Jesus is Lord. And like Jesus, you go into the waters of baptism. It's like being buried. You die to yourself is one way that the New Testament writer puts it, and you come up, and you have a new purpose and a new life, and you're a new creation in Christ. If you haven't done that, do it. It's a simple start to a lifelong process of submitting yourself to Jesus and uh, transformation. We have, I don't know if you know this, but behind this wall, there's a very well-organized uh, tub of clean water that we leave available just in case someone says, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I've never made that declaration. I've never been baptized. I want to do it today. Um, during this next song, come and talk to me. I'm going to be sitting down here, worshiping, taking communion. Uh, say, I want to do that. Maybe today, maybe soon. Let's talk more about that. I'm available. Turn to somebody near you that you, you know follows Jesus. And say, what, what does that mean? What is that like? The invitation is open.
I wanted to make sure to, to make that clear this morning. I'm glad I went back to say it, but now we're going to put on a song called, Oh, Praise the Name. Oh, Praise the Name of the Lord our God. Praise His Name forever. And it tells the story of Jesus. It tells the story of the cross and the resurrected Jesus. He died, but He didn't stay dead. By the power of God's Spirit, He was raised, and we too can be raised to new life in Christ. So as we, together as a church, take the bread and drink the cup, during this song, you can do it on your own or with cheers to the person next to you while this song is playing. But during this video, it's about five or six minutes, just reflect on how much God loves us and how that was demonstrated in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and then we'll go ahead and cue this video. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for a, a, an amazing, incredible life lived. And thank you for the way you conducted yourself in the ordinary times. Thank you for the example that we have, the record of your life, which is something we all hope to aspire to, how you loved others, how you trusted God the Father, how you led with courage. We, we long for those things, God. But we praise you and we thank you and we celebrate the hope we have in Jesus, the salvation that we can take hold of because of this message that we've heard, the truth that Jesus is Lord and Jesus is alive. We thank you that you call us to be your children, to be your followers, to be obedient to you and to wake us up every morning and smile and care for us and lead us. Lord, my prayer for this congregation this morning is that we can know how much we are loved by you. Take anything that contradicts that message and remove it from our hearts Remove it from our lives. Take these stumbling blocks away so that we can believe this truth and walk in new life and be a, a, an encouragement and a, a joy to others that we encounter along the way. Um, this is our prayer of praise and this is our prayer of thanksgiving. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Okay. During this video, during this song, reflect on Jesus and take communion.